1: Hello everyone and welcome to Audio Judo. I'm Matthew
2: and I'm Kyle
1: and this is your podcast of music discovery. Uh, We are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the number one music podcast network on the planet and home of the Metallica Report, the only official Metallica podcast out there. We also host two additional podcasts, Audio Judo Does Jazz, which talks about all things jazz and is a great primer for someone interested in getting into that very complicated world of jazz that I don't understand. That podcast begins uh, season two in 2024. We also produced Throughline, a podcast about records that are conceptual in nature, whether the artist intended that concept or not. Uh, the host, Christian, weaves his way through the album, tying loose threads together uh, to get what it's about in a very unique and thought-provoking way. And season two of that podcast also begins next year. This week, we get to do my very favorite episode of the year, <laughs> talk about five albums each that had an impact on us individually. It is the only episode where... where... Where I really spend the whole year thinking about it uh, and have to be really conscious of how the music world is progressing or regressing, depending on what year we're talking about. (laughs) Each year, the number of albums that are being released grows exponentially, as anyone that really has musical aspirations at all can probably figure out how to record on their own and even self-release if they choose. So gone are the days where there were a handful of record labels vying for top talent and releasing records to the record stores, and the only way you found it was by going to said record store, reading a music magazine, or by having a friend who did all that research for you and passed on their knowledge, right? Now with social media, it's everywhere, almost impossible to chase down. Let's say you have 10 favorite bands, right? And you subscribe to all their newsletters. Are you sifting through all of your junk mail to see that one of them maybe putting out a record this year? What if it's just an EP or a single? It's exhausting to try to figure it out, but also exhilarating at the same time. Because when you do find gems of any kind, it could be be a bit of a uh, revelation. What I realized about last year is that I chose three albums last year that had stalwarts of the music industry tied to them, right? I chose Tears for Fears, Porcupine Tree, and Envy of None, of which Rush guitarist Alex Lifeson is a member. They all released new albums last year, and I think there was a bit of a nostalgia in those choices because all three of those artists hold very special places in my heart. My other two choices were new artists, but they had elements that made them a little similar to stuff I had been listening to for a long time. But this year... While a ton of my favorite artists released new albums, I really wanted to go out of my way and see if I could find some new blood. I set parameters for myself at the beginning of the year that I wouldn't go out of my way to put five new artists on the list. If a classic artist really had the best album of the year, then I would acknowledge it, but I would give new stuff more of a chance. I would spin it more, see if any of it stuck more often. Hmm. And I'm here to say, while not one of the albums I chose is the first album by any of these artists, they are all artists that I have never listened to before this year. So some of that made me a little sad because they are so good, and I wish I would have been listening to them for longer. It's, it's kind of <laughs> depressing sometimes. What I also want to say is that all of my honorable mentions this year, and I have three, are established artists with new records. And because I think it is important to talk about all of them as in-depth as the others, this is a surprise to Randy, I'm going to record a separate judo chop or mini episode where I cover all three of those records in a little more depth than I will on this program. Cool. So Kyle, if someone wanted to listen to that episode or any of our other judo chops, where would they do that?
2: So you can sign up for our Patreon to get access to those judo chops. Um, We have three tiers. The lowest tier won't actually get you uh, access to those judo chops, uh, but it will get get you a shout out at the end of every episode. We call that the shout it out loud tier. That is $1 or whatever the equivalent is in whatever country you live in. You want to step it up a little bit and get access to those judo chops you can join the front row seats tier you'll get a shout out by name or nickname at the end of every episode the early access to uh, early access to all the new episodes access to the judo chops uh and some access to some little cut out bonus bits and things that we're going to share on our patreon you really want to help out the podcast and get something big for yourself in return you can join the backstage pass tier for the, that you get the uh, shout out by name or nickname early access mini episodes bonus bits plus after three months at uh, that tier you'll get a special gift from matthew and i and the big one after one year year at that tier you can co-host an episode of audio judo with us on the album of your choice that reward does require a full year of patronage to activate and we used to say you can only do this once we've changed that up a little bit if you want to do it a second time you can support us for two additional years after that first year and do it a second time and if you really want to do it a third time you can support us for three more years on top of that and do it a third time uh, oh, and you can find that it's at patreon.com forward slash audio judo or if you go to AudioJudo.com, there's a link. Perfect. Oh, well done. Thank you.
1: So the way this works if this is your first time joining us mm. is this. Uh, these are not necessarily the best albums of the year but they're our favorite albums of the year. These are the albums we went back to multiple times to listen to during the year because something resonated with them. So don't come at me and say that T. Swift's redone version of 1989 is the best album of the year because while I'm sure that it is great it didn't necessarily speak to me Enough to warrant a place on my list. And I did listen to it. We all have different choices, right? And these are the five that appealed to me. And maybe I will spur someone to go listen to these bands, listen to them as well, and uh, share it with their friends. And that's kind of the point. Kyle and I will alternate choices, talk a little bit about the band and the album, play a couple clips, and move on. We also don't discuss any of this beforehand. So the possibility exists that there will be some overlap, uh, but we will see. It's
2: happened before.
1: It has happened before. So uh, because you started last year, Kyle, I will go ahead and kick us off. Sounds good. So my first choice is the fourth album by the Tennessee-based alternative band, Colony House, uh, called The Cannonballers. Colony House was formed in 2009 uh, when brothers Caleb and Will Chapman formed the group. Originally, it was just named Caleb, but they changed the name and named it after the apartment complex they were living in. So there you go. So it turns out that Will and Caleb are the sons of contemporary Christian artist Stephen Curtis Chapman. And the band is just really fun. I was very surprised when I heard the beginning of the first track on the album. find it just kind of popped from the speakers the way it did. Uh, And honestly, I wasn't really sure what I was expecting. Uh, I would say that I would listen to them over their dad any day of the week. Because, you know, apparently my son had told me about this band a few years ago when one of their early albums was released. And I guess I ignored him. So, sorry, Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he and I were taught, we were talking about this record a couple weeks ago and he said it isn't even their best. And I said, well, maybe, but their other records weren't released this year. So I'm talking about this one. (laughs) Uh, Their sound kind of reminds me like a bit of Walk the Moon, maybe some Cold War kids in there, maybe a little hillbilly stuff. It's quite cool. Uh, The first track I'm going to play is called Landlocked Surf Rock, and that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, so according to the band, this song is an energetic love letter to Tennessee. Hmm. Song was released as a single, did no damage on the charts. But I feel like this is something you might be into, Kyle. Yeah. It's surf rock. Updated. This is
2: really cool. I I like it already. Updated.
1: Lead singer uh, Caleb Chapman said this about the song. He said, The song talks about our home, Tennessee, Nashville more specifically, being this wild and ridiculous place that will make you roll your eyes at it, but not without a smile on your face. We were all born here. We grew up here. We have buried the people dearest to us in this place and now raising kids here. No matter how far these songs take us away from home, it's that landlocked surf rockabilly kind of feeling that keeps us dreaming and coming back to the place we love more than anywhere else. Tennessee. And the lyrics bear that out. Some California techie in a cowboy hat is dancing by himself beneath the disco ball while the preacher's outside smoking, sharing Jesus with the homeless on his way to get a tattoo on his arm. (laughs) Sounds
2: like Nashville
1: or Vegas could be Fremont Street for all we know, right? Is there a
2: 400 pound woman with her tits out? Yes. Then it is Fremont Street. That's perfect. (laughs) But it'll be $15 to get pictures with her.
1: Uh, That makes sense. (laughs) It's changing gears though a little bit. Not that much is the title of the uh, the title song of the record "Cannonballers," which starts with a riff right out of the '60s and something off of the Munsters. But this has a sweet groove for the verse, and I think that anyone knows me knows that this isn't typical of the music that I listen to. It's a little poppier, but it's fun, and I need a little fun every now and then. Can't all be melancholy stuff, right? <laughs> Here's a clip of "Cannonballers" right here. See, right? Heather was surprised to hear this one afternoon during the summer out on the patio. <laughs> and she said, she looked at me and she's like, this isn't you. <laughs> I said, uh, you may be right, but I like it. Right? It's catchy. It's fun. Uh, so that's Colony House, uh, the Cannonballers. Nice. to you.
2: Interesting that you had mentioned the, uh, the Cold War Kids as uh, uh, somebody that they kind of sound alike because the first album I picked is the Cold War Kids. Well, how about that? Cold War Kids. Their album, Cold War Kids. If you don't know them, they've been around since uh, 2004. They were formed in Long Beach. They have like 10 or 11 albums out now. First time I heard about them, I've been a big fan for a while, but it was in uh, 2010 or 11. They had a single come out called Audience. It's a a great song. Two of their albums, uh, 2008's uh, Loyalty to Loyalty and 2011's uh, Mine is Yours, uh, have both uh, made it to number 21 in the US, so they're somewhat known. They had a little bit of a more known hit in 2019 with the the song Complainer. Um, It got a little bit of radio play and it got a little bit of uh, uh, TV play as well. This album uh, was released on November 3rd, so it's towards the end of the year here, so I've only had a few chances to listen to it. I like it. I like it a lot. It's a little bit of a mixed bag versus a lot of their earlier albums. There are some moments I really like, there are some moments that I think fall a little flat, but I I definitely have gone back and listened to it a few times since it came out. The opener for it uh, is called uh, Double Life, uh, and it sounds like this.
3: So not to love,
1: not to it's a little more full than I remember from Cold War Kids.
2: Yeah, this album has a little bit more of a production value to it than some of their previous albums. It has a different sound to it as well. Not in all the tracks. Some of the older stuff, some of the, I don't want to call it simpler because that's not the right word, but more stripped down I guess is a good way to put it sure. sound comes through in a few tracks there's also I don't know if this is intentional or not with the you know the the somewhat success of um, complainer from a couple of years I feel like there's a few tracks on here that were meant to be singles they were meant to push towards radio play and towards um you know more popularity um those ones are uh run away with me betting on us and uh, this song straight.
1: Uh, that's definitely like deemed for radio. Yeah, it sounds it's so much that first song was way better than that one.
2: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I like so the the opener, "A um, uh, Double Life." I think is my favorite song on the whole album. It's definitely got a lot of the Cold War kids sound to it, but it's like you said, it's fuller. It has a little bit more polish to it than a lot of Mm -hmm. their previous songs do. But then those other ones are definitely aimed at, we're trying to get them out there. We're trying to get, you know, TV shows to pick them up as, you know, background incidental music or whatever, or we're trying to get the radio station to play them or or whatever, and trying to get them to, you know, get picked up as singles on playlists on Spotify and iTunes and stuff like that. Um, I definitely think that for a band that's been around for 20 years now, you know, this album is a very complete piece versus a lot of their previous albums where there were one or two songs in it that were really strong and the rest were kind of weak. I think that the whole thing here is very complete. I think that it's very, uh, the whole album is pretty strong. It's fun to listen to. It's a, it's a good listen for a little while. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's their best work, but uh, I think it's a really good, fun album. And like I said, I've listened to it probably a dozen times since it came out about a month ago. So there you go.
1: Okay. My second choice is the aptly named Survival by the band Royal Bliss. And this is such a weird one, because apparently the Salt Lake City based Rock Quartet has been around since 1997. This is their sixth album that they acknowledge. Hmm. Some sources say they have 10 albums, but they only list six on their website. I'm guessing those first four may have been independent releases or maybe albums they just passed along to their friends. How did this band go unnoticed for so long, right? It's this is 1997. It's 26 years. Yeah, They remind me a lot of Chevelle or uh, Shinedown or some bands like that. Some very serious musicianship on here. The songwriting is really interesting. The band is composed of Neil Middleton on vocals and guitar, Taylor Richards on guitar, Jake Smith on drums, and Brian Hennessy on bass. And here's a little fun nugget of information for everybody out there, including your cousin, Hmm. Scott Kay. On their Wikipedia page, it lists... David Lee Roth as the lead singer from 1997 to 1998. So, I thought that this was someone just having fun with Wikipedia. Sometimes that shit happens. uh, And decided to do a little internet sleuthing. Sure as shit. What comes up but an interview with lead singer Neil Middleton confirming the fact that he was, in fact, the replacement for the original singer, David Lee Roth. (laughs) It's wild. and In in this interview, he says, he's like, yeah, it was weird. Uh, He's like, Salt Lake City at that point, musically, was like the wildest Wild, wild west and people just showed up and joined bands and them for a while and then left and i'm like what it's so weird you know um,
2: wild salt lake city utah in the ex- late
1: 90s right there's so many weird things in that sentence like what salt lake city okay <laughs> <laughs> so it's a long career for me to never have heard of them before 26 years it's a long time so i mentioned that this is the aptly named uh, album survival and the reason for that is sometime in the interim between records A number of years back, Neil Middleton fell 35 feet off a balcony in Southern California, broke his back, pretty much paralyzed him for several years. But he's mobile again now, after years of therapy, uh, and this album is a culmination of that hard work. And the first track is a song called Black Rhino, and it sounds like this. Some great sounds there, like I I think I said while we were listening to that. Sounds a bit like Daughtry, and he actually was a contestant on The Voice briefly years back, the lead singer, uh, Neil Middleton. So the original meaning was about surviving as a live touring rock band in today's crazy music industry. Uh, They said they finished the song in 2020 during the pandemic, so the lyrics kind of ended up reflecting that time as well made me think that we are all endangered species, and life is a bit more fragile than we all thought. The ultimate theme of the song is we all pull through this if we stay strong and work together. And I think it would be difficult, personally, for me to hear the lyrics to the song and not think that Neil was in, talking about, in some way, still being able to do what he loved to do after his accident. Yeah. The, the lyrics that you heard there are survival, one chance, one life, you never get it back, black rhino, one left, fight back or never see the end. That makes sense. But... Now, I would admit that this album was difficult for me to put onto paper and put into my top five, not because I haven't listened to it a bunch, because I have, but because it is such a guilty pleasure to listen to. (laughs) This album takes me back to high school when I was listening to hair metal and guitar solos and shit like that, because this isn't the stuff that I normally listen to anymore. I listened to this album in my car late at night on the way home from a show at the top, you know, top volume. It is not deep. It is not complicated, but it is a hell of a release. And I know I have a few friends out there. Pat in Denver, stuff like that, people like that who are throwing up devil horns right now going, Matt's back, (laughs) Matt's back. And while that may be partially true, you got to listen to the rest of the list to really determine that. So the second clip, also guilty pleasure, (laughs) is from a song called Full Moon Rising. weird i would never listen to this around people (laughs) this is more this is just like for going for a run or something i'd listen to it because it is it's very propelling forward but
2: I would swear that I have seen them in concert, actually. In Salt in Lake? In Salt Lake, um, 2006, 2007, maybe. I totally I want to say that. maybe they were opening for somebody.
1: 100%, that makes uh, sense.
2: But yeah, I I, re- I recall, they sound very familiar to me, and just looking at their bio really quick, I'm like, maybe this is somebody that I, I remember seeing at a bar, I think, but...
1: That also makes sense. Yeah,
2: that, uh, that memory is very hazy, but, but for well. various reasons, but... <laughs> Yeah, very interesting. I I like their sound, though. Very, very good pick. Thank you.
1: And uh, that's Survival by Royal Bliss. On to you.
2: So I'm going to take some shit for this pick. This is a a hack pick. hack. A hack pick. I picked (laughs) uh, the Rolling Stones Hackney Diamonds. Oh, hack. Hack pick. I know. I'm sorry. I keep coming back to listen to this album, and I keep sharing it with other people, like at work and when I'm driving and (laughs) when I was visiting family, and I'm like, no, you got to listen to this. It's the Rolling Stones again. So if you don't know, unless you've been living under a a rock rock hold for (laughs) laughter for the (laughs) last year, the Rolling Stones released their first album in 18 years. It's called Hackney Diamonds. It's their 24th British and 26th American album. If you wanna know why that is, go back and listen to episode 118 uh, of ours on Sticky Fingers, another one of their albums. But I keep coming back to this album. I keep coming back to listen to this album. There's nothing, uh, okay, so uh, the opener is called Angry. Um, mm-hmm. It has a great hook, it has a cool sound to it, it, it has a great guitar section, and this is what it sounds like. Don't get- Or how about this? The, the classic rock sound from the song Whole Wide World.
3: Where well, the dreary streets of London, they never promised much. A dead-end job to nowhere, and all your dreams are crushed. When the whole wide world's in.
2: Was that Mick? It's me, Mick Jagger. How did Mick sound so weird? (laughs) I had my throat scraped by a pipe cleaner. No, but honestly, (laughs) like I know that this is such a hack pick, and I know it's fun. It's a fun album, and I know that it sounds like everything else that they've ever done, and it's just overproduced shit garbage (laughs) sound but I keep going back to listen to it it's such a fun album to listen to and it's just it's right in that comfort zone where all the rest of the music I mean you know we always talk about how we keep coming back to rock rock bands from the 60s and 70s and 80s uh, a ton on this podcast I would say the majority of the albums have been rock albums from that era yes because we love them this album absolutely fits into that category it's just more of the same and I realize that's not new. That's not exciting. It's not anything that's like boundary breaking and genre defining or anything like that. But it's fun, and I think that it's gonna it's <laughs> gonna be a huge. I had to burp there. It's fun, and I think that it's uh it's gonna be a, a long term. That I feel like this is gonna be the Rolling Stones' last album. And I don't yes, mean probably. I don't mean to wish that on them, but the reality is this is probably the Rolling Stones' last album, and because of that, I'm hoping that it goes down as a good album to end their career on. It's certainly
1: selling it copies. It's certainly yeah. got great critical reviews. Right, not that they care anymore. No, or they may have never cared. You never know. But that's but a, it's a, it's a successful record. Yeah. Hackney Diamonds, eh? All
2: right. Hack, hackney Pick, Hackney Diamonds. There you hack, go. Hack, Hack Pick, Hackney Diamonds. So, uh,
1: capitalizing on the David Lee Roth connection, Hmm. my third choice is is by a band that I had heard of before this year, but just didn't even bother with until this year as I was preparing for a patron episode. So, I knew of the first record, but I I avoided it. But when I listened to this one, I was kicking myself for the rest of the year. (laughs) And I'm talking about Mammoth 2 by Mammoth WVH, a.k.a. Wolfgang Van Halen. My God, what a revelation. So from the opening notes to the finish, I was enraptured, and I'm pretty sure I spent the entire summer talking about this record, playing it constantly, and just wanting to share it with anyone I knew. It became that important. If you've been li- living under a rock, rock, <laughs> Wolfgang Van Halen is of course the only son of the late guitar legend Eddie Van Halen and then wife actress Valerie Bertinelli. Wolfgang, or Wolfie, as he is referred to, has never been far from the public eye. Right at age 15, he replaced original Van Halen bass player Michael Anthony and toured the world with his father and his band for a long time. I thought, nepo baby, right? <laughs> we have known for decades that Eddie was a control freak with the band. If he could push out 25 percent of the band to bring in another family member than he would, right? I was not impressed. Wolfie was playing Michael Anthony bass parts for crying out loud, right? There isn't a bass player alive that couldn't handle those parts. But when the first album was announced, I thought the Mammoth name was a cool touch. Mammoth was the original name of Van Halen after all, but I didn't even bother to listen to it because how how good could it be? I mean, at best, it would be a Van Halen knockoff, right? Well, I am sorry, Wolfie, because listening to this record, number two, I grossly misjudged your abilities to play, to sing, to write. Let's just be clear here. Wolfie Van Halen played every single damn thing on this record. All the drums, all the guitars, all the singing, all the everything. He is a student of music. I would say he is a better drummer than his, Ale- his uncle Alex ever was already. And while it would be a stretch to say that he's a better player than his dad, maybe he's more tasteful. I think he has a different tone for sure, but his use of melody is amazing. And his dad never could really sing that well. Not so with Wolfie. He does it all. And he does it superbly. The. First- First track is called Miles Above Me. Check this out. So yeah, that was a that was a pretty long clip because I wanted to put I wanted to put some of his singing and his soloing into the same clip. It is muscular rock and roll, and I love it so much. I'm a little pissed because he was just here in town at the House of Blues yesterday, I believe, and I wanted to go see it, but I had to direct some outlaw country bullshit. So I couldn't. I'm still annoyed about that. But uh, uh-huh. but this album got uh, quite a bit of love as well. And it should. It got to number 29 on the Billboard Top 200, but it was also number one on the hard, hard rock chart, number three on the rock chart, number six on the independent chart. This is the kind of rock and roll that I have been missing for a lot of years. I think I've said on this program before that whenever award shows happen, top of the year, the Grammys, the EMAs, even the Oscars, and they're looking for a rock band, um, they always call the Foo Fighters for years. Yeah. As if this was the only band that can represent the hard rock genre. But I think they're missing out if they don't start to incorporate some of these bands like Mammoth that are, they're waves back to the earlier generations while finding new, source, new sounds to explore. And yes, people Have pointed this out. Wolfie was blessed with amazing musical genes, and also blessed with the ability to be exposed to some of the best teachers ever. But he still had to learn how to play. Right? He still had to find a musical voice of his own, and I think he's found it for sure. Here is a piece of "Take a Bow." So this is by far the longest song on the record. Clocks in at almost seven minutes long. The guitar solo alone is almost 90 seconds long. The fun part of that is he played the solo in this song on his dad's original Frankenstrat through his dad's original Marshall head. So if it's when you're listening to it, if it sounds like an Eddie solo, there's reasons why. And I think that is so cool and respectful of him to do. And there's uh, no doubt it would have absolutely had his father's blessing had he still been with us. So Mammoth 2 by Mammoth WVH.
2: I had this on my list as finals for this year as well. Yeah. The only reason it didn't make my list is because I knew you were gonna pick it (laughs) you have talked about it so much this year which with with all due respect to it you have talked about it so much this year and i think that it is right up there it's a awesome album
1: yeah top to bottom it is it is probably i don't we don't like to rank these one to five but that's definitely my top album of the year your
2: favorite from the year yeah yeah I would agree. It's it's definitely up there because it's it's another one that I've gone back and listened to multiple times, and it's it's fun. It's great. He is super super talented.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed. So go ahead.
2: Next one's a little yeah. bit of a weird one um, for me. Unsurprisingly, uh, new artist for me. Um, his name is King Creosote, and the album is called Ides. King Creosote is a guy named Kenny Anderson. He's a singer and instrumentalist uh, and guitar player from Fife, Scotland. Ooh. Uh, he began his musical career with the Scottish bands uh, Scooby Dub and uh, then a band called Cartoon Heroes. Cartoon? Yeah. Is Khartoum? that K H A R T O U M? Cartoon? Cartoon Khartoum? Yep. Khartoum Heroes. Uh, in 1995, way back in 1995, he launched his own record label named Fence. It began recording under the name King Creosote. In fact, a lot of his early albums were literally recorded. Uh, you could buy them on CDRs. Oh, and so on his Wikipedia page, there's a whole section that's like these albums are released on basically homemade CDRs.
1: Does he do the artwork on it himself? Just like hand draw uh, it with d- a sharpie?
2: It didn't look like it. I- I've only seen one picture of one, and it didn't look like it. But that would be awesome. But talk about prolific! Uh, this album, ides his 50th album what 50th album from early 90s to today his 50th album this is unfortunately is the first one that's come to my attention uh, and i really feel like i've been missing out on this 50 Um, albums yeah it's not maybe the most pop friendly album um it does have some great songs on it um the opener is called it's sin that's got its hold upon us it's a really cool fun song and it sounds like this All of his songs have a very Scottish influence to them, a very traditional Scottish musical influence to them, but they play on modern pop sensibilities. It's it's super interesting. Another, Structure is weird. Yeah, another really cool example is this one. It's called Susie Mullen, which I can only describe as a Scotsman trying to do a Japanese pop song. Oh boy. So he also does on a lot of his albums, very long suites. Um, so on this album, there's a 13 minute long suite called Please Come Back, I Will Listen, I Will Behave, I Will Toe the Line. That's which the name has, of it? That's the name of it. Okay. And I'm assuming that the way that you would read this is Please Come Back is one section of it. I Will Listen is one. I Will Behave is one. I Will Toe the Line is another. Right. Because it does have basically four sections. They're all very heavily influenced by traditional Scottish music, music. Scottish music, but there's also some really interesting. Rock interludes in there. There's like a cool guitar solo right in the middle of it that's a very like heavy electric guitar solo. He also does um, on several of his albums Scottish drones. There's one on this album. The last track is a 36 minute long drone called oh "Drone in B Sharp," which is what it says on the tin. It's 36 minutes long uh, with some bagpipes and some some. It's a lot of like, oh well, shit! That's how you record
1: music. 50 albums, right? <laughs> a 36 album drone in B Sharp.
2: Yeah, uh, but it, it, he does have some again some electric guitar interest or inter- inter- interspersed in there, uh, some other rock and percussion in- uh, instruments interspersed in there. It's a super interesting album. I can't say that I'll ever listen to the the, the drone from beginning to end. (laughs) What? I haven't. You're uh, not going to put that on for parties? Surprisingly, no. But oh. um, the rest of the album is super interesting and, and worth a listen. It's iDesk uh, by King Creosote.
1: You're not going to have people over for the holidays and just put on 36-minute <laughs> drone and B-sharp in the background? Uh, Kyle, uh, what is that sound? What do you mean? That's what I'm It's my 36-minute-long drone. You guys B-sharp. don't know King Creosote? How do you not know King Creosote? I've He's got 50
2: records. A, I've composed a favorites album of mine that's all his drones. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, 19 hours long. Oh, that's my favorite. Great playlist.
1: It's a CDR. It's a stack of CDRs.
2: <laughs> uh, next. So, damn it. This is another
1: band <laughs> that it. has been around forever that I had no idea existed. So, the next album I, that I chose is Seven by the Canadian American band Big Wreck. It is their seventh album, naturally. And they've been around since forming in Massachusetts in nineteen ninety-two, another thirty-year band wow. that I'm like, what? I didn't never, never heard of them. <laughs> so the band consists of uh, Ian Thornley on vocals and guitars, Dave McMillan on bass guitar, Chris Cadell on rhythm guitar, and Seku Lumumba on drums. But Ian Thornley is the only band, or only person to be through all the iterations of the band, and this is pretty much his baby. He disbanded the group in 2002 to go solo, and when he reformed it in 2010, he was the only original member to return, other than Brian Doherty, one of the guitarists, who passed away in 2019. So, when the band was first formed, they were called Waters, and all members of the band were students at the Berklee School of Music, so they were no slouches, clearly. Fair. Uh, they hated the name, and during one of the recording sessions, they ran into a snag during one of the songs, and Doherty remarked that it sounded like a big wreck, and the new name of the band was born. Which, to be honest, is way better than Still Waters, which sounds like a group on the New Age uh, Wyndham Hill (laughs) label. So I guess this band is huge in Canada. They have four top five albums in Canada. One of their songs, which I'm going to play soon, uh, is called Albatross, got to number one on the Canadian rock charts and held that position for six weeks. Wow. I've included a clip of that song because I'm curious if anyone out there, including you, Kyle, and anyone else listening, has heard it before. Because I sure hadn't. Sounds like this. Good, right?
2: Yeah, never have heard, heard that it before? before. No, right.
1: Well, what the hell then? How come we don't hear any of this stuff down here, and it all ends up in Canada? I'm stuck with this shit on rock pop radio, and they get the good stuff, and I have to stumble across it. This is
2: bullshit. This is just like everything else. You have to go to Canada and illegally import it back to the U.S.
1: We need a version of CanCon here we're like forced to play certain percentage of canadian that would be great. music down that would be here great. anyway their new album is actually a culmination of 3 separately released eps over the course of the year 7.1 7.2 7.3 first track i'm going to play is off 7.3 and it shows what kind of rockers these guys are sounds like this is called full display unique, right? Yeah. There's something in their sound that's different to me. I'm not Not sure if they go to a different place key-wise or chord-wise that makes different or what. I just know that I like it. You know how when you listen to a a lot of music and you can start to anticipate how and when a song is going to change? You know, you can feel the change coming. Yeah. And and with this band, I always feel like they have a trick up their sleeve. And when I think they're going to go one direction, it moves somewhere completely different. And it's one of my favorite things about listening to music in the first place. It's kind of the unknown. You know, where is it going to go? Is it going to move me? You know, Mm -hmm. how is it going to move me? And then they take this this huge, bombastic, loud song, they come back with a little sweet, more gentle approach in a song like Melody and Sound, which is the next clip I'm going to play. Their melodic approach is, is just very interesting to me. And I played this one for Heather during the summer, too, and she was like, this is definitely you. <laughs> and I guess that's because it's very specific and at times challenging to listen to, which a lot of the times is exactly what I want. And it sounds like this. Here are some one other fun thing that I dug up. Ian Thornsley was slated to be the original lead singer for Velvet Revolver. Oh. He auditioned and won the role and ultimately turned it down because he couldn't see himself as a front man without playing the guitar. And that's what they wanted. And the gig went to Scott Whelan instead. Wow. Very cool stuff. Weird. So that is Seven by Big Rick.
2: Do we consider that disaster averted for him? probably
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no offense to anybody that uh, likes velvet revolver
1: yeah but mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so uh next up on my list is a, a, a pro- probably one of the newest artists that i, that I listen to uh dreamer isioma or isioma depending upon how you pronounce it the album is called princess forever uh, this is kind of a weird mysterious album by a very mysterious artist Dreamer Isioma was born in 2000 or 2001. We don't know. Uh, Various sources say both. Uh, Dreamer doesn't consider themselves purely a musician, as they do a lot of visual music videos and things uh, on TikTok and and various other locations on the internet. Uh, When asked by paper in February 2022 how they would describe their profession, Dreamer suggested, quote, creative director, end quote, rather than performer, songwriter, or vocalist. As for what type of music Princess Forever is, what genre, how to classify it, that's also really difficult, uh, and that was intentional. Um, they did a Business Insider did an interview with Dreamer, uh, a couple of, uh, either, I forget if it was early this year or late 2022. In uh, it, they said, quote, Dreamer ICOMA doesn't want themselves nor their fans to be put in a box. And Dreamer said, quote, I just want people to know that they can be whoever they want and whatever they want, end quote, Dreamer is a Nigerian American singer who identifies as non-binary. Their debut album, Goodnight Dreamer, released in February 2022. Princess Forever. This album was uh, April 2023. This album has some really wonderful tracks on it. Uh, it's upbeat. It's funky. It's got all. It's it's all over the board as far as genre goes. It, they all have a little bit of a familiar sound to them, but then they stray into something really unique, uh, and then they kind of fade back to in, into the familiar, and then stray back into something unique over and over and over again. Take a listen to uh, this track, uh, Give Me a Chance.
1: Them playing it like this shitty little dive bar in like Chicago or something, right? I just ha- accidentally walk in on them, like what's happening in here?
2: <laughs>
1: so vibey.
2: That's that's a really good way to describe it. It's a very vibey album,
1: totally vibey.
2: It's, and and like I don't know if you heard it in there, but there is a spot where same same singer, but the to- the whole mood of the album or the song changes. Hundred percent, yeah. Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, of some of the childish Gambino stuff from um. Awaken My Love, and I can't remember the album, the name of the album that came out after that. But uh, this song specifically reminds me of that. Uh, This is uh, Why Pray to God?
1: So vibey. Mm. Uh.
2: <laughs> oh. I've heard people say that when we uh. share love and made love.
1: That's baby making music. That's what that that's is.
2: Baby making music. <laughs> nobody's made a good doing it album since teddy pendergrass i don't remember the name of the album this one is a little bit closer to the edge of i think what a lot of people that uh look listen to the podcast probably would normally listen to Uh, i think it's a really astounding album though from an artist that i'm hoping is at the beginning of their career i think that again they consider themselves to be more of a what did i say the actual term was a um, Creative director, I almost said multimedia director, a creative director. There are visual components to a lot of the songs in this album. There are music videos associated with it. They are also considered a fashion icon currently. They've done, uh, I believe it was Vogue and um I forget what other magazine it was, but they did interviews about what their dress style is, the clothing, things like that. Very fascinating artist, very cool album. And like you said, I think it's a very vibey album that if you're in the right mood for it, it's kind of a mood album.
1: It's a whole so there you go Kitten Caboodle. The whole Kit it
2: and Caboodle.
1: Caboodle. It's a fun word.
2: Caboodle. <laughs> caboodle.
1: So I absolutely love this last one. So my fifth choice for favorite album 2023 is the album Sunburned by the Virginia band Illiterate Light. And I must have a thing uh, for bands that only have two people in it, because this is the third year in a row I've chosen a two-piece. <laughs> but Jeff Gorman and Jake Cochran are the whole band, and they make quite the ruckus. Founded in Virginia in 2015, this is their second full-length album, and there are influences on this record from Neil Young, Tom Petty, a host of alternative acts. Uh, they've played Lollapalooza and Bonnaroo, toured with acts like The Head and the Heart and Shaky Graves, uh, and it's a sound that seems to blend a whole bunch of other sounds together. And with two guys, they make a very unique sound unto themselves. And while I've never been a huge fan of the fuzz sound, I think it works here. The first track of the album, Wake Up Now, sounds like this. It's it's intimate folksy in parts, and then it's kind of anthemic in places. Kind of the best of both worlds, loud and soft. Uh, And I think what I realized about myself most of this year was when I was trying to break down why I picked the records that I picked... Almost none of them I picked because of the lyrics, which is very mm. weird for me. Yeah, I'm usually is. drawn in by really good stories and lyrics, but I guess this year I was drawn in by good music and the lyrics were secondary or irrelevant. And because I had no idea what he was singing about until I looked them up when prepping this episode, they're fine. Some are really good, but that's not at all why why I chose this record, which is odd for me. When I was discussing my choices with Christian, uh, my oldest son, he he called this one a bit... Hippie for him. is what He may have used a different word. I think it was hippie. And then I listened to this next track and I thought, what the fuck, man? This could have been a 21 Pilots song, which is one of his favorite bands. Mine too. And so no relation to hippie stuff. But I think it was trying to imply that it was a bit too laid back. Maybe a bit too stoner-esque. Okay. But I don't hear that necessarily on all the tracks, but I do hear it on some. So he could be right. This next track is actually called Hellraiser. And it is about going to a friend's house and watching horror movies, including Hellraiser, and then going out for a drive and being freaked out during the whole evening. It's it's actually more like a teenage date night type thing. And it sounds like this. <laughs>
2: pilot sounding
1: right and i dig that i like the groove i like the fact that he's singing he's singing right up against the mic and it gives it like a totally different texture to it it's very intimate and when you listen to it in headphones it's like oh that's right in my head i dig it it's called uh the album again is sunburned by illiterate light Hmm.
2: yeah interesting choice so my last choice is a uh, one uh, a completely new artist again that I, I just found this year. Black Belt Eagle Scout. And The album is called uh, "The <laughs> Land, The Water, The Sky." Ooh. Black Belt Eagle Scout Hippies. is uh, Catherine Paul. Oh. Probably not a hippie, but uh, she is a Swinobish uh, slash uh, Inupak or Inupiak uh, singer songwriter based out of Portland, Oregon. She has a really strong mix of alt-rock sound, from that sort of grunge rock, alt-rock sound from the 90s, and some Native American traditional music. Um, She grew up in the Swinomish uh, Indian tribal community, which is in Washington State, and she was involved in a lot of the traditional music uh, uh, traditions of uh, that area from a really early age. She began learning to play piano and flute at a young age, and then she began getting interested in guitar and drums, Before her teens, by watching bootleg VHS tapes of Hole and Nirvana performances. Mm. And in fact, she taught herself to play the guitar and the drums by watching those tapes, pausing them, seeing where the guitarists were fingering the fretboard and how they were strumming, and then repeating that to learn to play those songs on guitar. And the same thing on the drums. Oh, yeah. Learning to play the drums by pausing and saying, okay, he's hitting this drum, this drum, this drum, this drum, this drum, this drum. drum." And doing that over and over and over and over and over again until she learned to play both. So, yeah, talk about a crazy way to learn to play. But, yeah, yeah, uh, she does play multiple instruments uh, on this album as well as in real life, obviously. Um, The Land, the Water, the Sky, this is her third album. Uh, It goes back and forth. Sometimes it leans into the alt-rock grunge sound a lot. Like uh, in this opening track, uh, My Blood Runs Through This Land. Sometimes the album leans in exactly the opposite direction. There's some low-key, really gentle rock sounds like in this track, Nobody. think this is a really great alt rock album it's one to put on in a in an afternoon where you kind of want to relax and it's not going to put you to sleep but it's also not going to like rev you up yeah it's kind of a meandering album it kind of goes back and forth between slow and fast and grunge and alt and it's all over the place but it's really good and i hope that she continues to make music and is successful because i would love to see where she goes with this
1: that's even a good description of both of those songs meandering. Yeah. That's a good word for it because they do. They there's no uh backbone to it. It no. just kind
2: of the, the, like I said, the whole album is a little bit of a meandering album. It's good, but you have to you still have to focus on it, I guess is the right way to put it. It's not something that you can you can put it on and enjoy it in an afternoon, but if you try to step back from it, it's just gone. It'll just bleed into the background. And if you really try to focus too hard on it, there's not a lot of depth to focus on too. Right. So you kind of have to just let it, you have to relax and just kind of listen to it, if that makes any sense.
1: It does, it does. All right, that's our top 10, but I have three honorable mentions, right? Cool. So I'll talk about these. What was the last one? That was Black Belt.
2: Black Belt Eagle Scout, uh, the land, the water, the sky.
1: Okay, my first honorable mention is, uh, but here we are by Foo Fighters. And I kind of felt obligated to put this record on here because of the tragedy of losing Taylor Hawkins, and the quick turnaround between them—between uh, then and the making of this record—was only like sixteen months. The album has received universal acclaim, and it is good, but I think the experience of listening to it is colored by the grief that is so pervasive throughout. Obviously, it was a difficult record to make and therefore a difficult record to listen to because you are reminded constantly of Taylor's loss. Almost every song is in some way shaped by that loss, be that musical or lyrical. And for that reason, and only that reason, It is not in my top five because I just couldn't bring myself to listen to it all that much to form really hard opinions about it. I likened it to if Rush made a follow-up album after Neil had passed away and all the songs were about him. There's no way. I would be able to form a good opinion about it because it would be tied up with all those emotions. It's a wonderful album. It's just too much for me. The clip I chose is from the song Show Me How, and the female voice that is so fantastically complimenting Dave's is that of his eldest daughter, Violet Grohl. And it sounds like this. (laughs) ¶¶ So I chose that song not just for those harmonies, because this is one of the only songs not about Taylor. But you can't escape the sorrow on this record. This song is actually about the death of Dave's mother, Virginia, who passed away six months after Taylor did. Mm. This record is just so full of loss, and I'll be doing a longer breakdown of it and all of my honorable mention on uh, a soon-to-be-released Judo Chop, where I did do a whole takedown of that record. Cool. Not takedown, build up, but whatever.
2: take um, <laughs> cool takedown a, of this record. I've criticized every single note.
1: It's a fantastic record. It's just a lot. It's just a lot to deal with. So the second record is called uh, The Harmony Codex by Stephen Wilson. So this is the third year in a row that Stephen Wilson has appeared on this list. 2021 was his solo record, The Future Bites. And last year was his work with Porcupine Tree for Closure Continuation. And this record is so much different than some of his other stuff. It is just Full soundscape type stuff. So the whole album was mixed in Dolby Atmos. And to celebrate it, he had these album listening parties in Los Angeles and London in which this whole record was played top to bottom for industry types in full Dolby Atmos in a completely blacked out theater. No visuals, just the music. Whoa. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. So he had 19 other musicians on this record with him, different from the zero he had with him on the pandemic-produced The Future Bites. In addition to those people, he performed on this record acoustic guitar, ARP 2600, bass guitar, Celesta, Cobalt 8 synthesizer, guitars, piano, Hammond organ, the horns, the Mellotron, two separate Moogs, all the percussion, did all the programming, played the Prophet 6, played a Rhodes, played some strings, played a theremin. It's nuts. (laughs) This clip is called Economies of Scale. Such a creative talent. Yeah. Just unbelievable the amount and the proficiency all around. And last, uh, but certainly not least, is the new album by Peter Gabriel, I.O. So I feel a little bit bad. Because I think this could absolutely have been in my top five, but for the unique release schedule that Gabriel implemented for it. Hmm. He released one new song every full moon for the duration of this year. (laughs) So the new album wasn't completely released until a few weeks ago. And I had vowed not to listen to it until the whole thing was actually out. Hmm. So I didn't feel as though I spent enough time to talk about it convincingly or really if I could determine if it belonged in the top five or not. Some of it is excellent. Some of it not so much. Gabriel is still Gabriel, and he takes chances, but he also falls falls back to some of the things we normally expect of him, and so far after a number of listens, it's kind of in the middle of the road as far as his uh, releases are concerned. Not as good as So, not as good as Peter Gabriel 1, but better than 3, so anyway, that's just my feeling. So this is uh, one of my favorites from the record. It's called Four Kinds of Horses. <music>
3: It all seems so simple Remarkably clear Like the darkest superhero You were burst into our fear They must have seen you looking everything you said knowing you could be a part of it they fill your head fill your head come all the nights oh come
2: so the four types of horses are original, spicy teriyaki, and barbecue. Right? <laughs> that's correct. <Good> <laughs> and that's it, uh, and that, that's
1: just pure Gabriel, right? It's pure, solid as his earlier stuff. That one is. And when you include Brian Eno on this song, you know it's going to be weird. <laughs> but the chances of it being good also. Go up exponentially. So that's our list.
2: Yeah. So I've got a couple also rans as well. Oh, please do. Uh, I did not write as much as you did about any of these. Oh, okay. Um, Arlo Parks, my soft machine. I think Arlo Parks made my also rans he... last year.
1: I don't know if it was an also ran. I think mm-hmm. it was one of your top. Wasn't it your one of your tops? I was
2: gonna look, and now I've for totally forgotten. But yes, maybe I know he was on the list previously. Hundred Gex album, ten thousand Gex,
1: ten thousand gex. Uh, gex.
2: Yeah, it's a very. It's a lot of weird, Gex techno hip-hop album that's really good, though. And then three additional artists that uh, we we mentioned previously in episodes, uh, I believe all of this year, uh, maybe not the last one, but uh, Jake Shears mm. uh, from the Scissor Sisters Scissor released Sisters. an album called Last Man Dancing. There's okay. also a remix album called uh, Last Man Dancing Remixes. Um, it's pretty good. There's some very Scissor Sister-y songs on here, not a lot, but a few. Um, the zombies had an album that came out this year called different game
1: get the hell out of here
2: yeah it's it's okay uh and then our old uh, friends of the podcast the cold stairs had an album come out this year called voices yep it's pretty good i've only listened to it like once but uh it's pretty good
1: they're a three-piece now
2: yeah there's three of them yeah so that's it that's all the good music from 2023 and nothing else (laughs) should be listened to
1: (laughs) yeah but we want to we want to know what your favorites are I'm, I guarantee they're different than ours, and that's that's what makes music so awesome. Yeah. Uh, you can send it to us via social media at facebook.com forward slash audio judo or x at audio judo or Instagram at audio underscore judo. Is that correct? Yes. I'm losing my voice quickly. So,
2: yeah, I can tell. I'm sorry. Or you can send us an
1: email. It'll be fine. Send us uh, an email at info at audiojudo.com with your list. Let us know what you think. We have some shout outs.
2: Yeah, to our patrons, uh, Diane and Simon C., our UK consultant, at the shout out loud tier. Thank you both so much. Michael A., at the front row seats tier. uh, Thank you so much. Christian S., David W., Kristen K., Michael S., Scott K., and uh, Chauvin M, thank you all so much at the Backstage Past here. We could not make the podcast without all of you guys. So thank you so much.
1: We appreciate you so much. Like I mentioned at the end of our holiday episode, the beginning of the 2024 is a banger for us. We have uh, episodes coming up from Tool, Fleetwood Mac, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Pink Floyd. So we're going with some dinosaurs, but uh, they're all fantastic. Massive records too, huge records. So please join us for that. Otherwise, have a great and safe new year, and we will talk to everybody in a couple of weeks.
2: Have a good one, everybody.
1: Bye-bye.
0: to achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing?
3: What's the problem? What's the problem?
0: Would you lie? Would you cheat?
3: Would they shop? Would they shop?
0: Would you kill?
3: Yes. I <laughs> My mom is dead. My right there.
0: From airship